me check one, two. You good now? All right. Good morning. I was asleep there for a minute. Now I'm awake. I hope you are. All right. Um, it's good to be here again two weeks in a row to be able to bring uh, the teaching of the Word to the people of God. I am um, uh, blessed always to do so. This is the final of four weeks that we ask uh, Jamie, we as elders ask Jamie to take four weeks of rest from the teaching ministry of, uh, of eldership. Uh, of course, he is busy doing the other parts of ministry. I don't want anybody to get the idea that he is uh, taking a four-week break. That is not the case. Uh, he does get involved uh, uh, more heavily in the other parts of ministry during this time, specifically giving uh, more dedicated energy to uh, the vision part of ministry, uh, but also dedicating time to uh, ministering to families and things like that. And so uh, continue to pray for him uh, this week. He will be back in, in the preaching part of the ministry uh, this coming Sunday. So we'll continue to in in First Peter. We finished up chapter 4 last week. We're in chapter 5 uh, this week. We'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 7. Give you a little bit of reminder of where we were last week in chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, we were talking um, a little bit about the appropriate response, the Christian response to suffering, whether that suffering is um, overt, kind of a government-enforced suffering, or a covert, I called it, culturally influenced suffering. That is, whether it is a, a intense suffering or kind of a subtle suffering. Um, so no matter what type or intensity of suffering, there, there is an appropriate Christian response to that suffering. And our, and our hope last week was that that response would be a loving, gracious forgiveness in the prayerful hope that a bold yet loving and faithful proclamation of the gospel would result in salvation of those who may be causing the suffering of Christians. So that's where we were last week in talking about the appropriate Christian response to suffering. And now we move to this week's text, which of course begins with the big number five, right? There in, your, in your English copy of the scriptures, there's a big bold five because we've entered into a new chapter, and there may be a new bold heading, and, and in our English readership, of course, that means to us full stop, new subject, disassociated with what came before, right? That's what that's supposed to mean. Um, and so that's the way we tend to read the scriptures. But I want you to understand that what we read today is still in the context of the suffering that we talked about last week, okay? Uh, I want you to remember that. And as a matter of fact, what we read today is followed by what we're going to read next week. And what was going to come next week that Jamie is going to have an opportunity to share is, is, uh, includes verse 10, which we'll read together now. Is in verse 10 it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so, the, the book of First Peter kind of ends with that. And so you've got suffering that came last week. And there's been a lot of things about that, of course, in the book of First Peter. But last week in particular, we talked about suffering for your uh, testing and suffering is for your blessing and suffering is for all of these things. And then next week, you're going to see this statement about uh, the, the, 
after you have suffered for a little while, and now you have this week that's about eldership. Of course, it's just stuck in there. It has nothing to do with suffering whatsoever, right? <clears throat> I want you to know that this week's text is sandwiched between the ideas of suffering. It is in the context of suffering. And so all that Peter talks about in this text, when Peter is talking about elders, it is in the context of this suffering. When Peter is talking about humility and mutual submission within the Christian community, it is in the context of this suffering. When Peter is talking about casting your anxieties on Christ, it is in the context of this suffering. And when Peter is talking about God caring for you, it is in the context of this suffering. So let's read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, remembering that it's in the context of suffering. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time you may, He may exalt you casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So I want to start at the end this morning. And I want you to understand that in the context of this suffering, the suffering that's come before in the book of 1 Peter and that we talked about last week and all that it is for, the suffering that he's going to talk about next week that is after you have suffered for a little while, in, in the context of all of this suffering, He cares for you. It's important that we start there because I want you to understand that all that Peter is talking about must be understood in the idea that God cares for you. No matter what suffering you are experiencing today, no matter the intensity or the subtlety, no matter government-enforced or culturally influenced. And at this point, whether it is naturally occurring or persecution, under whatever suffering occurs, you must remember in the midst of it, God truly cares for you. And because you know that God truly cares for you, you can then Cast your anxieties on Him. And that's what Peter says. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That's what he is saying in verse 6. Let's look at it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, it, it involves a few things for you to be able to cast your cares on him. A few things here in this text. The first thing it's going to involve from you that for you to cast your cares on him and understand that God cares for you, for you to be able to know God's care for you and, and experience God's care for you, it, it first is going to involve humility. He says in verse 6 there, very clearly, humble yourselves. Now this goes against the grain of our American mentality, does it not? In our American mentality, we have two things at the heart of it. Individualism and independence. And, and those things are good, don't get me wrong. Individualism and independence have good things at the heart of them because, one, it teaches us responsibility and self-responsibility. And those are biblical traits. We are responsible for ourselves and our own actions. But our greatest strengths can become our greatest weaknesses. If you want evidence of how a person's greatest strengths can become their greatest weaknesses, ask Brooke. She will tell you all about how my greatest strengths have become my greatest weaknesses. I'm sure she has a long list. Well, she probably has a long list of my weaknesses. She wouldn't admit they're, they're my strengths. So that may be a bad analogy. The truth is, the greatest, one of the greatest strengths is that we, we understand in America independence and, and our self-responsibility, right? Our independence. And we have responsibility for ourselves. But we have taken that too far in the sense that we don't allow ourselves to ever be dependent on another. And if we get so self-reliant that we can't allow ourselves to in any way be dependent on another, then we will never allow ourselves to cast our cares on Christ. We'll never allow ourselves to confess to our brother our sin. We'll never allow ourselves to cry out to Jesus for help. We'll never allow ourselves to just weep before the Lord because I've come to the end of myself. Cast our anxieties on Him. And if we never get to the point where we're humble enough to cast our anxieties on Him, we will never see the beautiful hope of the gospel where we find peace and care at the hands of Jesus. Because He cares for you what Peter is telling us. And so the first requirement is that we find ourselves humble before the Lord. The second thing, and it comes before in verse 5, and, and I'm taking, uh, taking it a little further, but in, in verse 5 it says, likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. There's, there's, there's some idea here that is going to come before, I'm going to get to it a little later, that being subject to the elders is an idea of of being subject to Christ as well. And so I'm, I want to say here that in our act of being humble before the Lord is us being subject to the Lord. And so as we humble ourselves before the Lord, we're also required to subject ourselves to His Lordship. 
You see, we can't simply come to the Lord and be humble before Him and confess our need for Him and then not subject ourselves to His will in our desire for His care. We can't say to the Lord, I need you, but I reject your will for my life. We have to humbly say, I need you, and, and, and willingly subject ourselves to his purpose and will as well. And so there's this requirement for humility, and there's this requirement for submission to Christ. And then also in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore unto the Lord and under his mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. There is a requirement for patience. That at the proper time. You see, we can't come to the Lord demanding his care and help on our timeline, but we must be patient before the Lord, allowing him to accomplish his purpose and his perfect will within his perfect timeline awaiting his perfect peace and so humility submission and patience are required as we come before the lord as we set aside ourselves experiencing his beautiful care and so i i beg of you to understand that in the context of all that i'm saying this morning see at the end of this text God cares for you. And He is offering His loving hand. He is offering His care through what Peter says before. We read this text with the big number five, big new heading, supposed to be new subject, but it's really not. It's in the context of suffering. And it begins with, I exhort the elders among you, right? So I'm, we're supposed to be talking about elders now, not about suffering. We're supposed to be talking about elders now, not about God's care for his people, right? No. We're talking about suffering, and we're talking about God's care for his people in the midst of suffering. And I think what Peter is trying to teach the church is that one way, not the only way, but certainly one priority way that God cares for his people in the midst of suffering is through the ministry of elders. And so I want you to hear this morning that the elders are given to the church by the Spirit of God as a ministry of God for the care of His people because God cares for you. I want you to see real quickly what I mean by that and then we'll look a little bit about what Peter says to the elders for your benefit. In verse 2, Peter, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, right? He's talking to the elders, but he tells them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We could talk all day long, and I could do a topical study about what he means by the word shepherd. He talk, he's talking about feeding the sheep. He's talking about protecting the sheep. He's talking about loving the sheep. He's talking about guiding the sheep. He's talking about all of these different things that the shepherd does for the sheep, but I want us to understand here that, first of all, this is the flock of God. That, this, that the people that, that the elders are to lead belong to God, not to the elders. 
says, shepherd the flock among you. It's interesting that Peter chooses these words to, to tell these elders, right? Because remember, Peter is the one that during the closing days of, of the incarnate Christ, right, in his life on earth, he was told by Jesus himself that you will deny me. And, Jesus, and Peter said, no, I won't. I'll never deny you. And, and Jesus said, yes, you will. And then a few days later, Peter is saying, I never knew him. I never knew him. No, I never knew him. Never was with him. Don't know him. That kind of thing. And then a few days later, after Jesus has died and been raisin, risen from the dead, they're just sitting on the side of the sea, and Jesus is making some fish, and Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And I won't preach that text right now. But he says, do you love me? And Peter says, do you know I love you? Jesus says, but do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus says, but Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know all things. Jesus says, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, take care of my people. I want you, Peter, to be one that cares for my people. I'm giving you charge, charging you with the task of caring for my people. And now as Peter is later in his earthly ministry, he's saying to elders, Shepherd the people of God. Care for the people of God. Feed the sheep. Guide them. Protect them. Lead them. Care for them. That's what he's saying in, in this phrase. And then in verse 3, he, he says, not domineering over those in your charge. We'll talk about the domineering piece in a minute, but in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. Again, he's, he's reiterating that these individuals, these people that have been given to the elders are not our own, but they have been given to us by God, and they are under our charge, and we are now stewards. So he said in the first part, they are the flock of God, they belong to God, but we've been given charge over them. So God's people, and now we've been given responsibility as stewards to guide, protect, feed, nurture, disciple, love, care. Not as if they were our own. But they are his. And then in verse 4, he just makes it abundantly clear. And when the chief shepherd appears. And so, Jesus is the chief shepherd, which means we as elders are but under shepherds, right? Who have been given stewardship over the people of God. So with those three ideas, Jesus is chief shepherd Elders are under shepherds who have been given charge over the flock of God. With those three ideas together, this shows that the care of an elder is really the chief shepherd caring for his people through the under shepherd. 
So when you receive the ministry of an elder, it is Christ caring for you. That's what Peter's trying to get at here. You can cast your cares on Christ because He cares for you. And one way He cares for you is through the ministry of elders. And so Peter calls elders to shepherd the flock of God as if they belong to God, as if they've simply been given charge. You've just simply been given charge over them because Jesus is the chief shepherd. So when we care for you, O people of God, we do so on behalf of Jesus. Because He loves you. He cares for you. And we take that as an immense responsibility. And oh, how we long to not get that wrong. I mean, we do. We get it wrong from time to time, I promise. But we long to not get that wrong. And so, receive that as the ministry of Jesus and as God caring for you. That's part of what Peter's getting at here. But you know, people sometimes, I said already that the American mentality of independence and personal responsibility and all of that makes us not reach out for help, but then within the context of the church, sometimes the idea of the preacher being holier than thou, I hope that's not what you get out of us. I hope that's not what you get out of us. And really, in, in reality, in, many, in, in the history of the church, that's not been the intent of most preachers. It's just been the, the culture, I'm afraid. But the idea of the holier than thou has led many not to bring their concerns to the preacher, to the elder, for fear that they're not supposed to reveal their sin or their problems, that they're supposed to be good around the preacher. As a matter of fact, I was uh, pastoring a church back some time ago, and uh, there's a couple in our church, it was a relatively new couple, and just wanted to invite them over for dinner and get to know them, let them get to know us. I thought it was important for them to know me and for them to know and for me to know them. I, I wanted to know the people that I was shepherding and um, them to know that we were very open. Brooke and I were very open. And you could come share anything with us, right? And um, so we invited them over, and they showed up for dinner. And he walked in the door carrying the biggest leather-bound. Uh, thin, onion-leaf, gold-rimmed paper Bible I think I'd ever seen. Sat down at dinner and put it down on the table in front of him. And I just assumed he might have had some questions and wanted to just jump right in. And, and he said at, the, in, at some point, he just said, you know, I, I, I didn't know why we were coming over tonight. I just assumed the preacher invited us over. We might be having a Bible study. So I brought my Bible. And I had to help, un help him understand we broke down some things and deconstructed some things that, no that night. It just helped understand that, you know, I'm real. Preachers are real people. And, you know, there's not a Bible by my bedside all the time. And there's not a Bible on my coffee table. I'd go visit people, especially a particular generation, people, and I'd go in their homes and they would say, this is the first time a preacher's been in my home in 15 years. 
But when I walked in their home, their home was as clean as it had been in probably five. And there'd be a big family Bible. Remember the family Bibles? You know, it had everybody's anniversaries in it. The big family Bible sitting on the coffee table. You know that Bible wasn't there all the time, but it was there when I came into this. Um, there was this thing we had to project when the preacher was around. And oh, how sad that is, because if we felt like we had to project that when the preacher was around, that meant we couldn't be real and share our anxieties with the preacher. And if we can't share our anxieties and our cares with the preacher, then we know we can't share them with Jesus. Because I promise you, Jesus is a lot more holy than me. And so my hope this morning, part of it is that you will understand that you can be real and share your anxiety and care with the elder, and you can be real and share your anxiety and care with Christ. One way that God cares for you is through the ministry of elders. So Peter has, in, has directed instruction to us elders in this passage because the ministry of elders reflects on the care and love of God that he has for his people. So, since I'm not really preaching to a room of elders this morning, um, I'm going to take some time to walk through the text that talks about elders and look at it from a slightly different perspective. If I were preaching at a preacher's conference, I'd preach this text very differently, right? Uh, but you have to take your audience into account, right? And so since you're not elders, we're going to look briefly at what Peter has to say directly to elders, but I think it's important, however, that the church understand the biblical calling motivation and method of eldership which Peter draws out as a way of enabling your understanding of God's care through elders which I hope will enable a biblical humble submission which he calls for from the suffering church so Peter provides three filters through which to view elder care and he gives us, I think, positive and negative examples of each. So we're going to try to walk through those rather quickly. All right? So backing up to verse 2. Elder care through the filter of calling. So we want to look at elder care through the filter of calling as it relates to your confidence in God's care for you. Okay? So in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So, Peter is saying to the elders that we are to be called and set apart of God to the work of eldership. Not compelled by any man. That's what he means, not under compulsion. So what do we mean, not under compulsion? But what it means is several things. So, so the, way, the way eldership might be done under compulsion um, would be so an individual might be compelled by the church because he looks like one that ought to be an elder. He's financially well off. So let's make him an elder. And so they set that one apart. 
and make him a part of the elder board that begins to look like a group of executive officers and so that people are set apart as and compelled to be elders. That's unbiblical. Being compelled by men to lead the church. Or one might be compelled by men to lead the church by someone who has money in the church putting up money to pay another to lead the church well. And then that one who's put up the money to, for that one who's leading the church kind of controls the purse strings. And he compels the leader to lead the church by controlling the purse strings. That's unbiblical. He's compelling the elder to lead. So, not under compulsion means to not be called to lead by manly influences, by worldly influences, but rather, he says, that's the negative, but rather willingly, he says, as God would have you. Willingly, as God would have you. Or if you're holding the NASB, it says voluntarily, by the will of God. And so, the opposite of the being compelled by worldly influences or manly influences, the opposite of that is being compelled by the will of God and doing so from an inward will, that is, voluntarily. Now, I want to be very clear at this point. We're not talking about not getting paid when we say voluntarily. Don't get confused by that. Getting paid for ministry is supported biblically in other places. It is important. As a matter of fact, I'll give you my view on that. My view on getting paid for ministry is is that we do not pay an individual to be an elder. We do not pay an individual to be an elder. We pay an individual in ministry so that that individual does not have to go get another job. We pay an individual to free them up to do the ministry that God has called them to do. And this is why I have that view. I work, I don't get paid as an elder, right? I I work in a secular world, and you can put a value on what I do in the secular world, and that's roughly what I get paid by my secular employer. And those of you that work in the secular world, you can put a value on what you do in the secular world, and that's roughly what you, although you probably don't think it is, that's roughly what you get paid by your secular employer to do what you do. But you cannot put a value on what the elder does in ministry. Oh, how many mistakes have been made by financial committees in churches throughout this land of trying to figure out the value of the preacher by doing cost analysis and comparisons to other churches and all of those things. You cannot put a value on what a minister does. And so we don't pay the elder what he's worth. We pay the elder and take care of his family so that he doesn't have to go get a job outside of ministry. It is a paying the minister to take care of his family so that he is free to do what God has set him apart to do so that he doesn't have to seek outside employment. And so 
so that he can voluntarily, willingly fulfill the calling that God has set in his heart. And that's, I think, what Peter is getting at here. He can willingly fulfill what God has put in his heart. That is, as God would have you do. The desire for ministry comes from within, not compelled from outside worldly influences. Okay, and because of that, you as the church can know that the ministry of the elder is God's care for you. You see that? Because if it is God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, putting an inward call on the heart of the elder and drawing that elder to this place and putting you under the charge of that elder, then it is God's ministry to you as opposed to some worldly outside influence motivating that man. This is God caring for you. And so please receive it as God's care. Now the second filter is elder is is you can see the the elders care through the filter of motivation still in verse 2 shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not for shameful gain but eagerly and so what this idea of not for shameful gain, but eagerly, is wrapped up in, in the idea of, obviously, for pay, right? That is, and I kind of got ahead of myself when I just started talking about the pay piece, but not for shameful gain is the idea that we do not do ministry for the sake of pay. When I wake up in the morning, sometimes... I begrudgingly go to work. That commute is not fun because I know what awaits me at my desk. Okay? But I go because a paycheck awaits me at the end of two weeks. Okay? That is not the case in ministry. I know because I've been there. I've been in ministry. I've been on the paid side of ministry. And I can say that in ministry, though there are difficult days, I'm not saying it's all roses, though there are difficult days, the fact is that God supplies the ministry and the energy to carry out that ministry. There is a joy in carrying out ministry because it is God caring for his people for his peace his people and there is an eagerness because you see the results of God and his purposes you're not doing it for the money if i were when i was in ministry if i if i wanted money i would not have been in ministry okay and i know most ministers would not be in ministry if they wanted money, okay? But we know those that are of a different stripe, maybe, who you've seen on television, and you can 
look at how there are um, ways of manipulation and trying to gain uh, finances through manipulation and things like that. And, and it is unfortunate that the gospel may be attempted to be used in those ways, and that is shameful gain, and that is unbiblical. But the true ministry of God is done with an eagerness of heart as a true motivation because the desire is for loving and serving people, not self. because of that, you can know that the elders, as they work together in plurality, are not here to serve self, but rather here to serve you. And therefore, you can see in that God's love and care for you. We'll move quickly to verse 3. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You know, I've heard stories of elders who love the feeling of authority. Nationally and even internationally known elders, authors who, on the local level, love the feeling of authority been known to tell people who they can and cannot date and who they can and cannot attend Bible studies with and who they can and cannot, where they can and cannot work and just control the minute details of life. That is domineering and unbiblical. That is not the care, the loving care of God. Elders are to be exemplary because... It is the manner in which God shows His loving care for His people. You see, God is not one who rules with an iron fist. Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus lived in a manner that showed love and compassion for His people. He lived in a manner in which He fulfilled the law and the prophets in an exemplary way. And so the elder is called to, as best he can, under the power of the Spirit, to live in an exemplary way. Unfortunately, elders fail at that. And a part of the example that elders are to set is an example of reconciliation. And so... I want you to understand that while we have no desire to be domineering whatsoever, a part of our example to you is the example of confession sometimes. Part of our example to you is the example of reconciliation sometimes. And so for, for us to even show you the example of reconciliation, you're going to have to understand that we're real men. And we fail. So be patient with us as elders. And know that our example of reconciliation 
when we sometimes fail on the big level and mess up things at a church-wide level and sometimes mess up things on an individual relationship level with church members and even sometimes on an individual relationship level between elders, right? Um, and have to show reconciliation. Uh, just be patient with us. Have grace with us. And let us set for you the example of what reconciliation and grace and forgiveness looks like too. And I want to be honest with you. I've, I've been in church leadership for a long time. I was, for the first time, I was on a paid staff when I was 19 years old. I'll be 46 next month, so I guess that's 27 years. Given that much time and the nature of my personality, I think I've probably made a few mistakes. I think. You can chuckle, it's true. I've made mistakes along the way. I pray that there's been reconciliation along the way as well, but unfortunately I've probably made that mistake too. And we elders here at Summit have probably messed up from time to time as well. Matter of fact, I know we have. And I, I don't know if you've noticed, but these are really strange times that we live in. I mean, we're sitting all family units six feet apart. We don't even know if we need to have one service, two service, or three. One week we need to have one. One week we need to have three. And we're trying to make decisions on a week-to-week -week basis, and we're going to make them wrong. We don't need, do we need to have mass? Do we not need to have mass? Do we need to leave it up to people? I don't, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to offend. We're going to forgive. These are not only uncertain times in, in Corona, but uncertain times on a wide array of things these days. And it is very easy to make a misstep, and we probably have already. But I want you to know these things about your elders. We are here because we are called of God to care for you. We are here because we are eager to serve you. And we do so in a various circumstances of your life with a variety of gifts that we've been given and granted by His grace. We're each different, and we're thankful for that. That's what plurality is all about. I am thankful that Jamie is not weak, where I am weak. I am thankful that Greg is strong where I am not. I am thankful for Jamie's immense, immense empathy and compassion. I am thankful for Sean's insight. We are different. We have a variety of gifts, and we are eager to serve you as a manner of caring for you by the grace of God. And we have no desire to lord over you in any way. So those three filters that Peter has given us, I pray you will find that we are on the positive side of things.
I could go on. We could talk about the role of elders, but like I said, I'm not preaching to elders today. My prayer for you today is that as we carry out the responsibilities of our office, exercising oversight over your souls, that you, I'm sorry, that we would do so in such a way that we could all clothe ourselves with humility toward one another, and in so doing, find that God gives grace to us, and we could show grace to each other. 